Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, we've got a good one. You know, I've had those days where I'm standing at a computer and I'm looking at the next day's surgery schedule, and I see seven things on the books, and my blood pressure immediately goes up, and I'm super stressed out, and I'm thinking, how in the holy hell are we ever going to finish all of this by 2 p.m. to start the emergency appointments that are crammed into the afternoon? And then someone taps me on the shoulder and goes, hey, did you look at the surgery schedule for tomorrow? And before I can even freak out on them, they're like, yeah, we've got four cat neuters, which means we've only got three surgeries. We'll be done by noon. And all of a sudden, my blood pressure drops and everything seems so much easier. We've all had those moments, right? And so this week's episode comes out of moments like that. How do we teach the team to stop, take a deep breath? think a little bit more and look critically at things before we panic. How do we teach them to make a plan? Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie, common sense ain't common (laughs) goss. Oh, How's it going over man. there? I hear you have a dog that doesn't have very much common sense. <laughs> common sense ain't common in my house in people <laughs> under the age of 10, uh, which is only Skipper Rourke. Skipper Rourke is bad dog. He's um, a bad dog. He eats <laughs> But why <socks>. now? <laughs> well, uh, so now he uh, he ate uh, one of his chew toys, which he'd had for a long time and apparently just decided now this is aged very nicely and now I'm going to consume it. <laughs> and he he ate it. Um, and apparently he got taken out eight times last night uh, oh, before no. bed to yark and squat and pee. And it was unknown to the family because he whined at different people. So only this morning I was like, you know, I took the dog out twice before bed last night. And my wife was like, I also took the dog out twice before bed. And my daughter was like, I took him out twice before bed, too. <laughs> and so apparently he yarked and uh, and squatted eight times before bed last night. Oh, and so then hard. in the middle of the night, he needed to get up and go outside and yark a little bit and oh. squat. And, and of course, then I'm, I am worried when, <laughs> I'll be honest, when my wife brings him back in, um, when my wife brings him back in from outside, I was unaware this happened. Um, I was not, I promise I was not playing possum while she took the dog out. <laughs> I was, I was asleep until she got back. But then after that, of course, I'm having the vet, the vet anxiety of my right. dog is obstructed and we're going to have to do this thing. And right. where am I going to do this? And how is this going to happen? And then, uh, the, I'm glad, but it's also infuriating that I got up this morning and he was totally fine. He was completely happy. Uh, he just wanted his belly rubbed. Uh, yeah, he, he oh, happily super. ate his breakfast. <laughs> and it was almost like, I would never wish ill on him, but the fact that he seemed so happy this morning was really infuriating. Uh, as my wife and I groggily went about our day. Oh, Skipper. <sighs> Such a bad dog. He, uh, Allison was like, is he ever going to grow out of this? He's almost three years old. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. This may be what he is. <laughs> He'll uh, grow out. Of, he'll grow out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like waiting for him to grow out of. It's probably like waiting for me to grow out of bad habits. Like mm, <laughs> he's forty-five years old. Uh, oh, he's, <laughs> he's not. 
He's not going to grow out of a lot of bad habits. So speaking of common sense, we have common sense. a great topic for today, which is <laughs> common sense problem solving skills don't seem to be very common in people's yeah. clinics. <laughs> yeah. We have gotten a bunch of comments uh, through the mailbag that basically are asking like, how 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 do I get people to have problem solving skills? So the um the clearest of the questions, um, there's a lot of frustration, and I feel this. Lots of lots of comments like, why can't the team just like why can't I just tell them, look, the things that are irritating you are your job. Get over it, <laughs> right? Like there is yeah there is that mentality and that frustration level for a lot of leaders in practice because it seems like um we're getting a lot of team members who are struggling with doing the basic core functions of their job. But the clearest question that I got, which I thought was so great, was how do we handle the team that panic first before trying to make a plan? So these are our team members who, um, you know, it gets super busy and we get a bunch of calls for drop-off patients and they panic and want to cancel the whole day of surgery or cancel a half a day worth of appointments because they feel like the schedule is overbooked. And then when you when someone who has a cool head looks at the schedule, they say, oh, well, half the surgery schedule is cat neuters. So realistically, we should be done with this in, you know, an hour, right? Like it's that kind mm -hmm. of, it's that kind of panic response or, you know, acknowledging that the doctor who is on surgery for that day is your fastest surgeon. And so the reality that you're going to get out of surgery on time is probably pretty strong, even though, there might be six surgeries on the schedule. It's that kind of, it's that kind of mentality. Could we change around our our teams or our workflow so that we have the right people in the right places to manage the workflow? And so this manager was like, how do we handle those team members who just panic and go to pieces before they actually stop and look at the schedule and try and make a plan? Yeah. Definitely. I, I've gotten this question a number of times mm -hmm. in my career and in a couple of different ways. Um, the the There's this one. The worst way that I heard it was a few years ago. Uh, it's probably been, man, it's been like seven or eight years now. I'll never forget, though, I was, I was doing a lecture and this person raised their hand and they basically described exactly this. And they talked about a front desk person. And they were like, oh, and then they just panic. And, well, I don't know what I'm asking you for. I mean, I guess you can't fix stupid, is what she said. And I remember how much that turned me off and how kind of it just, ugh. Like yeah. when she said that, I was just, I just thought, oh, my God. And I think that that's, I think that says a lot about that practice. If the practice owner is here at a lecture calling her people stupid, like that's, there's, there's right. your problem. You know, like, right. it's, like it's hard for me to believe that, uh, that, that that the attitude of the owner is not a significant part of this. But, um, but that was the first time that I really heard that exact, that exact complaint. And I thought about it and I ended up talking to this person in front of the, the group and, and kind of drilling into what, to what was going on. And just since then I've, I've run across the problem a number of different times. So yeah, there's, um, there, there were these instances that we see in the practice where the panic hits before the common sense hits. Mm -hmm. And 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 I'll I'll take this a step further and say I have seen this in myself at certain times of my life. I distinctly remember there was a time in my grown-up life when I caught myself um being this person who would hit a setback 
and panic and call my wife. Mm-hmm. And it was usually it, it had to do with with stuff like we were we were we were building our home I think at the time, but I at one point I remember kind of waking up and going, "Wait a second. I'm a highly competent, confident person. Like I I fix problems for other people. I run a successful company. Why am I panicking and calling my wife when I run into uh you know into this mm-hmm. into this into this situation. And it was fascinating to me. So so let me just start with some empathy and go, I've been this employee. Uh, I've been this employee in my personal sure. life. Um, and so the idea that this is uh, a terrible personal failing, like I don't buy into it. I don't buy into the common sense is the problem argument either, because I would say I have plenty of common sense uh, and I was still in this position. And so I, it manifests that way and people go, well, why don't they have the common sense to not panic? I think that's a red herring. And so here's, here's, what, I, here's what I think happens in these situations. And Stephanie's giving me the side I'm eye. Give, like, you, I'm giving him a where look. Are <laughs> where are you going? All right. I don't believe this is a common sense problem. Okay. Period. Full stop. I don't believe it is. Here's, here's what I see that tends to happen that manifests like my team doesn't have any common sense. Um, the first one, and this is the one that I saw back in that lecture hall with the person who was like, well, you can't fix stupid. What turned out in her practice was that she had a process person at the front desk. Mm-hmm. And a process person is someone who they want rules. Mm-hmm. They want guidelines. They want a checklist to follow. They want to do what they are supposed to do. Yep. That's a big deal for them. And you and I both know those people and we have those people on our team. And I just have to say, those are wonderful people to have, especially if you're a chaos Muppet like me and Stephanie. Like those are the people who hold the business together. What happened in this case and what I have since seen happen again and again and again is that you have a process person. Mm-hmm. And when the process breaks down, that person doesn't know what the quote unquote correct thing to do is. Right. And they want to get the answer right. And so they panic. And they, you know, while you say, well, why didn't you look at this and assess that we have a bunch of cat neuters and this would be what would be it is because looking at what is booked and assessing the time commitment of those things is not part of the stated process. Right. And so that is the first case that I see is you see a lot of times when I hear, oh, there's no common sense. It's not about common sense. You have someone who is a process person and they're following the process, but the process does not account for what happens when a person books three pets and only shows up with one or they um, the schedule is full book the way it's supposed to be, and then a big emergency comes in on top of it. And no one has ever talked about the ability for me to look at this and see what those things are and make a judgment call. Right. That's not part of the stated process. And I don't want to do what's not part of the process because I want to do it right and I want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so that is number one, right? Number two is a lack of training. Yes. Where um, I have people and they have been put in a position and they haven't been trained. Yes. And then I look at them and say, well, common sense. And I'm like, guys, we're in a medical field. Yep. Like just winging it based on common sense um, feels dangerous to me in some ways. Yes. And those of us who have done it for a long time, this is where we discount our knowledge. We know it's fine to rearrange these things. And yeah. we know that cat neuters don't take a lot of time. 
But the person at the front desk who has never been trained in what actually happens behind the front desk wall, right. they just don't have the training to make what we think are common sense decisions. Yes. And and again, we say, oh, they don't have common sense. Nope, they don't have training. Yes. And the last thing is, the one that I see, the last thing is me. This, this is what happened with me. At some point, people can get trained to panic. They can get trained that when the process breaks down, the safest, best thing for me to do is to reach out, to ask what to do, to shut everything down. Um, I, I love my wife to pieces. She is amazing. She designed, she designed our house. Like she designed the house that we built years ago. And the reason that I found myself panicking and calling her was because I knew that there was a way that she wanted things done. And there was a way that was important to her. And I didn't want to get it wrong. And I, I, have, I don't have any recollection of this. No <laughs> doubt I made some bold choices early on. <laughs> and it did not go, it was, they were not the appropriate choices. Uh-huh. And I was made aware that they were not the appropriate choices. I have no doubt that that happened. Ultimately, I, uh, the builder would say, well, what, here's a very small thing. What do you want to do? It's like, I'm calling my wife at work. <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, and, but in my defense, I had been trained to do that. Sure. We see that all the time in vet medicine. And it's especially common when the doctor, the manager, the practice owner is a perfectionist type personality. Yes. Um, yes. The, the classic joke is the one of, um, of uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like the person talking. They say, me, why isn't anyone helping me? And then the next line is me. Don't do it that way. No, not that way. Here, give it to me. And it's like, that is how so many of our practices run. Yep. Like, why is anyone helping? Don't do it that way. You're not doing it the right way. Here, give it back to me. I'll do it. Yes. Um, and a lot of our practices run that way. And so these people have honestly been trained that the most effective, efficient thing they can do is panic. Yes. Just panic and shut down and call the practice owner at home yes. and say, what should I do? Yes. And it's amazing how many practice owners are like, ah, oh, these people, no common sense calling me at home. And I'll say to them, how, of, if they, <laughs> how often do they make decisions at the office and you come in and find out that they made a decision and you're totally happy about it? I was like, oh, never. Any decision they make without me included is met with criticism. Ah, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Truly, it's their lack of common sense that's causing a problem. Here. <laughs> I see. Okay. That's, so, so that's that's my rant. I'll step down off of my soapbox. So now that uh, so now that you laid that all out, I don't need to <laughs> I don't need to side I you I don't need to side I you as much as I thought I did because I actually agree with you. My thought was I don't think that it, it's necessarily a common sense problem. I do think that it is a lack of education when it comes to problem solving skills. And I think that we as employers tend to feel like we should get fully functioning adult employees who come ready with all of the problem solving skills that they need. And the reality is that is not true for a variety of reasons. And it is very much our job to teach them how to do the, these things. And to your point, 
It's not a part of the process. So they don't know what to do. And that's a really common shutdown for a lot of our teams. And for the ones where that isn't their problem, I I agree. A lot of the time the hangup is they have been conditioned or trained that panicking gets the problem solved faster because someone else steps in and just does the thing and they don't have to deal with it. And so I I agree the way that I would approach this is from an educational perspective, because I think this is very much for a lot of us um, an unconscious. And hear me when I say that we're not no one is intentionally living out that meme because we don't want to make our lives harder. Right. We're not choosing to solve all of the problems for people so that we can make our lives exponentially more of a pain in the ass. It's a very unintentional, unconscious decision we are trying to help in the moment. And at the same time, it doesn't absolve us from the responsibility that we are conditioning them by doing the same thing over and over again. We are conditioning them to push the panic button and let us jump in and save the day. And whether it's you as the, the manager or the practice owner or the team leader or the surgery tech who is the only one who can touch the surgery schedule, all of those things are real in our hospitals. And it is our job to step back and think about how can we do our job better in terms of teaching the team how to have the problem solving skills we need them to have. Yeah. Oh, completely. I, I want to bounce on on your education point too. I, I want to I want to tie it to something else. So I want to say uh, there's education, meaning they know what to do. Mm-hmm. There's empowerment, meaning that they are able to, to make the decision. And then there's knowledge of empowerment. And it is amazing, like how often I'll hear conversations, and the manager will say, "Well, why didn't you reschedule them?" And do you know how to reschedule people? And they're like, yes, of course I know how to reschedule people. And say, well, why didn't you reschedule them? I did not know that I was, imp- I didn't know that I, I was know I able. Could. Yep. I didn't know mm-hmm. I could. I did yep. not know that I was allowed to reschedule people. Yes. And the manager's jaw drops. And you say, well, of course you're empowered to do that. Well, I did not know that because you never told me that that was a decision that I could make. Right. And, and so those things to me, that education, training, empowerment, and knowledge of empowerment are all tied together in... Yes. Uh, in this rather simplistic thing of uh, it's not about common sense. It's about knowing what to do and that you're allowed to do it. And then supporting people who make empowered decisions. Mm-hmm. Because I tell you, I see a lot of people who uh, who make the call on the ground and then get hammered for yes. it later on. Yes. And yeah. that disincentivizes people <laughs> from making common sense decision. It's really funny. It, it is um, this. I mean, this is this is one of the greatest challenges in leadership. And I get real excited about this, as you can tell. It is one of the greatest challenges in leadership is um, people desperately want to delegate. They want people to help them. They want people to act independently and autonomously. And at the same time, they can't bear for someone to make a decision that they wouldn't make. Yeah. That, you know, that that inconveniences them in some way, you know, or that um, is, is, yeah, is outside of what my personal preference would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I go, well, then you're stuck, buddy. You're always, you pick your poison. You can either be frustrated that this person defers to you for everything, or you can be frustrated that they don't do it exactly the way that you want it done. My advice is the middle option, which is work with this person to allow them to make decisions and empower them and educate them to make decisions that fit into your business model. And then also to accept a certain amount of, yes, I know that you would prefer to have this phone call scheduled 
after you get back from lunch as opposed to before you leave for lunch. But that's a level of specificity that is hard for you to communicate on this specific day. And it just got booked here and you didn't have to set the phone call up. So just be grateful for that and go on with your life. <laughs> it's so true. And I will tell you guys like this, the very, very candidly and very very much in a vulnerable fashion. Like this is a really painful, hard lesson to learn. And I have been hit upside the head and clobbered with this one more than <laughs> more times than I care to count. And I will tell you that one of the um one of the discoveries that I made for myself was um learning to recognize, especially if you are a manager or practice owner who um has, you know, was was previously at another practice and then has moved into your current practice. One of the mistakes that I made was assuming that when people have experience, that they're what my experience tells me is common sense and and problem solving skills and what my training is, that just because someone else has experienced that our problem solving skills and common sense are going to be the same because that is very much not true. And so one of the errors that I made repeatedly as a manager was thinking, looking at someone who is panicking in the moment and the, the story I'm making up in my head, the story I'm telling myself in my head is, this is a, this is a experienced technician. This Amanda has been doing this job for 10 years. I don't understand why the hell she can't look at the schedule and assess that this is a schedule full of cat neuters. Well, maybe that's because in her last practice, she was not empowered to make that decision. And so when something like this came out, the process was that she brought it up to the manager or to the practice owner or whatever. But when I skip that very important step of getting curious and asking questions, just because someone has experience, it bites you in the ass almost every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I share that because that was a very that was a very hard and painful lesson to learn. And and it goes back to the education perspective. That is just because people have training does not mean if there is something that you want done a specific way or certain steps that you want taken in a problem solving metric, you still have to teach everybody that. You can't assume that they're going to learn it by osmosis, that they're going to have learned it in their previous training, or that they're just going to, you know, kind of pick up on it watching. If you want something done a specific way, you have to open your mouth and you yeah, have to teach them. True. And and another hard reality is when we start talking about training, we start talking about systems and processes. Um, uh, simplicity is your friend um simplicity is your is your friend until it's not um teaching someone what the process is to move blocks around the schedule can be pretty simple you know what i mean you're right. like these are these gray ones are surgery blocks and these purple ones are sick pets and these tan ones are rechecks and these uh teal ones are wellness appointments sure and this is how many of each one we can have and this is where they go and people go great when you talk about looking into those boxes and seeing what those things are and making judgment calls about the amount of time they're going to take or effort or things like that, you do realize that you have exponentially increased the difficulty of this right. job, right? <laughs> yes. like, seriously, yes. like, that is yes. a huge jump. And once you break that thing open, now you're asking someone to do something totally different. Um, I can get great receptions in. I can get them trained real fast if I have a three gray block 
uh, you know, 12 uh, green block, whatever, like whatever. I've got a system and this is where they go yeah. and just put them in under this coding structure. I can get someone up running the front desk, at least as our scheduling goes pretty quick. When they're supposed to make judgment calls about time, surgical time and things like that, that is a level of experience. Yes. That is, well, I don't know how you train that. It takes it takes a long time. Yes. Um, and so, so I don't know. I, I just I just sort of put that forward. Um, it is very, very hard to be a perfectionist and a manager of other people. Yeah. That's it's kind of like an unholy combination. You know what I mean? Um, like, I need things to be just so. And also, I'm going to try to manage other human beings. I'm like, oh, buddy, that sounds like you're setting yourself up for that disaster. Is why, that is um, why I sucked as a manager some days. I mean, it's it's real hard. Uh, so so anyway, I, I, I think we've kind of, I think people can sort of t tell where we're going here as far as uh, kind of setting these things up and the problems that we run into. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's take a break here. Okay. And then we'll come back and we'll get into what, how do we sort this out? Sounds great. Hey, everybody, it's Stephanie, and I have to jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a workshop that is coming up. You need to know about it, not because I am leading it, but because it is going to be awesome. And I'm so looking forward to having your participation in the workshop. It is called Communication Foundations. It is happening on Sunday, November 7th from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, which is 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific. It is $99 for the public. If you are an Uncharted member, log in when you register and you get it for free. And um, we are going to be diving into the idea that we can find common ground with anyone, anywhere, at any time, whether the communication is personal or professional. It just takes a really strong foundation in communication. So we're going to talk about some fundamentals and then we're going to dive into a style of communication that when I learned about it early on in my vet med career, it was a game changer. And I'm super pumped to nerd out on this one with you guys. So if you are enjoying today's podcast, head on over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events and check out the communication foundations class information, sign up. I would love to see you there. Now back to our regularly scheduled broadcast. All right, so let's do it. We've got a frustrating system where people are uh, panicking mm -hmm. instead of making what seems like it should be pretty easy decisions. Yes. Um, let's fix this problem, shall we? Yes. All right, let's see. I I, I think for me, uh, you've got to, you, you got to figure out what is the root cause, right? So we need to start with root cause analysis. Okay. Why are they panicking? Are they panicking because... They're process people and they they want to follow the rules and they don't know what the rules are. And if they're panicking because they're process people, then I need to fix my processes. Right. And some point of the process might be, ask me about this. When right. you get to this point, you text me. Um, it may also just be looking and saying, okay, I need to clearly write out what happens when we come to this point. Right. And, and, and what blows a lot of people's minds with process people, these are very smart people. Um, you can 100% make part of the process, make a decision using your best judgment and do it. Yeah. Now, the caveat to that is if you put that in the process and they make a decision using their best judgment, you can't come back and crap on them mm -hmm. because now you're being unfair to the process people. You told them to make a decision and then you crapped on them. You can come back and say, tell me why you made that decision. Mm -hmm. uh, you can 100% do that. And we can talk about... And then we can make make a process for to help them make these decisions. Yep. And again, 
I think a lot of people, our eyes are probably wide going, Andy's talking about making a massive manual. I would not, generally for me, this is wait and see. If they call me the first time, that's not a big deal. If they call me a second time, I'm going to say, okay, this seems to be a process problem where we've got some ambiguity here. Let's figure out what the what the system is and just resign yourself to for the rest of your life you'll probably be making some processes as you like there will always be something that needs to be tweaked and guys guess what that's just what it means to run a business so let me tell you my best example of this is um one (laughs) early on in my career i made the mistake of them calling me to answer all of the questions and i was going crazy and i needed a way to fix that and so i um implemented a, a rule or a system that if there was a client so our clinic had become the clinic where anytime a client even remotely looked sideways <laughs> uh, the answer was let me get our manager and i was spending all of my time talking to people who were totally calm and rational and just needed someone to problem solve with them mm-hmm. and it was driving me crazy but i created the monster myself. And so my first attempt at a solution was to tell my team, okay, look, if you can solve a problem for an upset client and it is going to cost me less than $25, do it. I don't care what it is. Just do it. Make them happy, right? Take some of this off my plate. Well, that was great and it worked. It stopped a lot of the the comments. But what I realized after the fact was I didn't allow for what you said, Andy, which is I can't crap on them, but I do have to tweak the system as I go or else it's going to create new problems. Right. Yeah, sure. And so ultimately where I landed was a system where they did the thing and then we had a process for which they documented it. So I wasn't going to crap on them. Do whatever. If it's under this threshold, um, do whatever it takes to make them happy. Give them a free bag of treats. Give them a free nail trim. Like we had some parameters that we learned from um, because people made some choices. And um, I thought, Mm, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have done that. So let's yep. let's tighten this up. And yep. um, uh, they just wrote me a note, and I looked at the notes, and then we had an opportunity to have some conversation and say, "Well, tell me more. Tell me more about this." And that's where I leaned into that. And over time, what I found was that was the first step to empowering them. And I still was getting calls like, "Hey, I have this client who's really upset." But ultimately, what I found was that they had done the problem solving, but it took me teaching them what I wanted them to do and Mm -hmm. saying, I am empowering you to do this and really forcing myself. And let me tell you guys, there were times where I literally had to bite my tongue because I wanted to look at them and go, why would you do that? Because Mm -hmm. I would have done it a completely different way. And that was probably the hardest part as a control freak. That was the hardest part for me to deal with. And we grew so much. And ultimately, to your point, it was a lesser poison for me to not get called out of yep. my desk every five minutes to answer a question um, and let them solve some of the problems on their own and disagree with maybe how they approached it. And over time, we were able to create some better systems, to your point, of like, try this, 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 and this. And then if you get to this point, this is the stuck point, come get me, right? Or yep. come at, come ask a doctor for help or whatever that is. And so that that's a perfect example for me of like, Oh boy, it can, it can work really well. And it's also, it's not going to be easy (laughs) and it's going to take time. And that's the, that's the really important part. And I think, I think um, the root cause analysis is is super important. I love your, um, your take on the fivefold why. And I think that that is a really important skill to teach 
the team because the ability to drill down on really why are we doing something or what is the true cause of the problem here is a skill that most people don't don't learn. And yeah. I think it's really important to teach that to them. Yeah, the fivefold why is a root cause analysis tool. Um, and the ba it's pretty darn simple. The basic idea is, um, you know, this person says, um, I, I don't know what to do. And the fivefold why would be like, well, why is this process? Why do we do this thing? Like, why, what are we trying to accomplish, right? And then, well, why is that important? Well, why is that important? And well, why do we care about that? And ultimately, we're trying to drill down to, oh, we need to make the client happy while uh, getting their pet in in an order, organized fashion. Great. That is, that is the root cause of, of our frustration. We are not making the client happy in a way that our staff is able to handle logistically. Mm -hmm. and, and just having that understanding helps them to say, oh, well, in that case, this is the correct solution. You say, yes, it is. But if they don't understand what the objective, they think the objective is to make the client happy, they are going to do things that are not good for our team. The, right. the objective is not to make the client happy, it's to make them happy while also meeting this other requirement. And they yes. go, oh, now I understand why my decision was problematic. Now I understand why people were frustrated with the decision that I made, and I know what my next decision will be when this comes up again. So I want to jump on, on kind of what you said in the story you said there, because you, you laid four of the things together really nicely, and I think a lot of times this is how they go. So the first one was the process. You know, you said, hey, I'm seeing this is happening. I want to make this process of what we do. And the process is um, make the clients happy. If this, is, if this costs 25 bucks or less, just make them, don't come and get me. Just mm -hmm. make them happy. Great. And then is the education. You say, all right, guys, let's talk about what our objectives are here and what we uh, what works for our team and what we're trying to accomplish and what is possible and what is not possible and what you're empowered to do and what you're not empowered to do. And that's education and training. And then it's the coaching part. And the coaching part is, okay, you made this decision. Help me understand why you did that. Like, wh why was that decision that was made? What were mm -hmm. your thoughts when you when you decided that that's how we should go forward? And I'm trying to do this in a non-accusing way, but like, great. Mm -hmm. So you told me this, you made this decision. Uh, walk me through, what, why did you make this call? And I would say it just like that because I really, and, and ultimately I do in this enough that I think people are pretty open to me asking because I have said enough times, walk me through why you made this decision. Mm -hmm. And they tell me, they go, great, that's good call. Fantastic, totally makes sense. Thanks, buddy, you rocked it. And I walk away and that's the end. And you can't say, tell me why you made this decision and then tell them why I was wrong mm -hmm. and do it. And if that is what happens, as soon as you say, tell me why you made this decision, they go, oh, uh, do you want me just to go ahead and apologize? Or do you want me to actually tell you why I made this decision? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's because they, they've been trained. And so it's the, it's the coaching, right? And uh, the coaching is, um, how do you think that went? If you could do it again, is there anything you would change? Mm -hmm. What is the outcome that you think we're trying to get here? What is the most important outcome that we can possibly achieve in this uh, in this interaction with the client? And guys, I, I keep stressing this. Um, it's important to do this when they did a great job mm -hmm. because it's them thinking through why they did what they did. A lot of times people make great decisions and we don't bring it up and they don't really know that if they even made the right decision. They made a decision and no one said anything. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not positive reinforcement. Right. You know, you not getting hassled is not positive reinforcement. You know, so so that coaching of, hey, you made the call. Let's break down what you did. 
and then and then positively reinforce the parts of it that I really like, and then ask you about some places that are weaker, or ask if there's other options, or saying, hey, if in the future you see this, see if it's possible to go this other way. And the reason is because we're better set up to handle this concession than than that one. Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to code in the computer. It's easier to get on schedule, whatever it is. And so, and then the last one is the positive reinforcement. So um, process, uh, education, training, and then the coaching uh, to refine. And the last thing is the positive reinforcement of thanks for doing that. This is great. You really did a fantastic job. Um, and just just patting them on the back for for the stuff for the times that they do work independently. And they get things done. I think a lot of times we undervalue people who work independently. Mm-hmm. It's like they get in there and they make their decisions and they get their job done and they do a good job and we don't have any problems. So we leave them alone. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like the people who make mistakes get our attention and the people who don't make mistakes, they get ignored. Right. And that's not the same as getting appreciated. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? And so we have to actively do that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I just, I really like that story. I think that that's a lot of it. And the other thing I really want to impress on people is I was serious when I said, this is your life uh, as a, as a business leader, as a manager, as an owner, um, you will always be tinkering with protocols. Yes. You will always be talking about how do we want to do things and what changes do we want to make? And the, the answer is um, do the thing, live your life. And when problems come up, address them. You know, make adjustments for them. Yes. And keep going. And the most important thing is to realize it's never going to stop. Yeah. There is no, there is no station. There is no level where you do not have new problems that need to be fixed. That level doesn't exist. And so a lot of people I think are like, God, all I do is fix problems. Great. (laughs) As long as you're fixing new problems and not the same problem again and again, you're doing just fine. Well, and I think, I think to that point, like it's never going to stop. And one of, one of the most common mistakes that as leaders we make is thinking that giving someone some more information or making a correction means that the problem will never happen again. And the reality is that um, we are human beings and practice makes perfect. And so Mm -hmm. if I just tell somebody, uh, give somebody a correction or give them feedback one time, it may not repeat itself, but it could repeat itself the next 10 times if I don't continue to practice it with them. And so this is where um, for me, one of the solutions as a leader would be, look, if the whole if the whole team is really struggling with this, if you are that mm-hmm. manager who's like, for the love of God, why can nobody on my team make a decision for themselves? Mm-hmm. Then my suggestion would be you have to actively attack this. And so I would probably approach it from the perspective of like, okay, guys, I want to, I want to help you. I want to make this easier for you. And so I need to know where the stumbling blocks are. Have them make a list, have them write down a list of all the decisions that they make during the course of the day. Cause to your point, a lot of our team is working independently and we're not acknowledging it because our attention is going to the ones who can't do it on their own. Um, and so ask everybody to to make a list and then say, okay, so let's pick one problem off of this list that we solved today. And let's talk about how we did it. Let's talk about other possible solutions. Let's talk about, um, you know, feedback and um, get everybody to think about the other possibilities because 
Generally in veterinary medicine, we live in a place of gray and there is not only one solution to most problems. And so having the conversation as a team gets them all to open their minds to the fact that their one way of trying it is not the only way and that there are other ways to to do it and approaching it in a, okay, what did we do well with trying to solve this problem? We made the client happy. Let's hold that trophy for a second. And let's just say, look, we gave away a $5 bag of treats and, uh, you know, a picture on social media and Mrs. Smith went out the door with no more problems. That is a big win. Like, let's celebrate that for a second. And then once you've held that trophy as a group, like then you have the conversation about what are our even better yet? Where could we try things differently in the future? Are there other solutions that the team can bring to the table? And do it both with the person who solved the problem as well as the rest of the team. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I, another another manifestation of this we see is the one person who comes in again and again uh, asking about what to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mm-hmm. know, we say like, well, it's not a whole team problem, but it's right. one person who always yes. wants to come in and ask what yes. to do and what to do. And so the the way I, I want to address this, this is usually a coaching, this is usually a coaching exercise. Um, the person comes in and they're asking what to do. And it's, it's because at some point the person decided or um, was led to believe that coming to you is the simplest way to get the task done. Yeah. And what is frustrating for the leader is you're like, I've got a million other things to do. This is not my job. Like I can do this for you, but it's everything I say yes to, I'm saying no to something else. Right. And so you're making me say yes to your thing, which means I'm saying no to things that you don't know anything about, but I'm saying no to them um, because I'm going to run out of time. Uh, the, the way to sort of correct that is we have to switch the math around so that it's not more convenient for them to come to us uh-huh. than to figure it out for themselves. And uh-huh. the way that we do that is with coaching conversations, which means when the person walks in and says, oh, well, this lady's up at the front desk and, and she's upset about this, um, the response would be something along the lines of, what do you think it would take to make her happy? And then uh-huh. do you think that that is a reasonable thing that we can offer to her? It is? Good. I think so too. That sounds good to me. Go um, do it. Let me know how it went. <laughs> why don't you go uh, offer it to her and see if you can uh, do that and, you know, work yeah. uh, work within your power and see if see if you can use that to make her happy and then come back if, if you still have problems. And it's sending them it's sending them back yep. um, to, to do it again. And if they come back, then I will certainly go out there and, and talk to this client. Right. But um, but an angry client, yeah, and that's not an extreme example. It really is. Like, right. if you don't ever talk to an angry client, you're never going to get good at talking to angry clients. Yeah. Unless you buy my Charming the Angry Client online <laughs> course available at drandyrourke.com. That's drandyrourke.com. <laughs> this episode of the Uncharted Dinner Podcast brought to you by Charming the Angry Client, my on-demand online training course for teams dealing with angry clients. I can't with you. I know, no, but it is true. And it is really hard as a manager, right? Because in, especially because as a manager or as a practice owner, like most of us are, have some strong um, type A, D personality skills, right? Like most of us are like, let's just get it done and move on because we have 50 billion things on our to-do list. And so in that moment, the interruption, it is the easy switch, to just say, let mm-hmm. me solve your problem for you because I can finish this in two minutes or I can have a five minute conversation with you and ask you, what do you think we should do? And then sit on yeah. my hands and wait for you to like hem and haw and think through it. And it is painful as a manager sometimes to sit through that. But the long-term 
effect is so much more um, <laughs> to to not force yourself, do it, sit on your hands if you have to, but just ask them, what do you think we should do? And yeah. let it happen well, because is, the long-term gain that you get there is so much more important. Yeah, this is the classic leadership example of uh, oftentimes what's easiest in the short term is most difficult in the long term. Yes. And jumping in and handling the problems of the team is a great example of this is super easy in the short term. This is super not easy in the long term because I have a team that's dependent on me for everything. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's. I don't know that that's that's really it for me. Um, I want to I want to I want to train these people. I guess I guess that brings us to the last point that I want to make, which is it feels like heresy I think for a lot of doctors, but but it's true. And you and I have been talking a lot about this recently. I think that when you're leading a team and you're managing people, a uh, good enough is good enough, and it needs to be that way. Mm-hmm. And it is just I say that just because I see how much pain perfectionist leaders go through yes because the idea that you're going to take a growing team and your team will grow and there will be staff turnover i don't care how good your practice is people will move away and they will take other jobs and they will do other things like you will have staff turnover the idea that you that other people are going to function independently and perfect in your view of medicine in the world is zero it's zero And uh, you can either be unhappy because other people will never, they're, they're never going to do it the way that you would do it, which means you can be angry about that all the time, or you can delegate nothing and do all the work until you burn out or until your practice caps and you're like, we can't grow anymore mm-hmm. because I'm not able to keep up with sweeping the front patio because no one but me can do it. And, it, you know, and I have too many things to do. Um, so you can... Uh, you can be angry, you can try to do everything yourself and burn out and fail, or you can make peace with delegating and decide that good enough is good enough, meaning I see value in other people doing the work so that I don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, as a big struggle for a lot of us, but yes. man, I really do think it, sep- it separates successful, happy leaders from struggling burned out leaders a lot of the time. Yep. I agree. Having having been there, yeah. <laughs> done that, like save yourself that pain. <laughs> well, it's one of those things that comes from a good place, right? Yeah. Like it's admirable that people want to do a really good job and they demand perfection. Um, but there is definitely a point of diminishing return yeah. where it's like, you know, you could go home and um, if you... If you spend your day off at the clinic running everything, it will get done at an A level. And if you go home and unplug and enjoy your life and don't touch base with the vet clinic at all, everything will happen at a B plus level. And it is really hard for some people when I say to them, for God's sakes, take the B plus and live your life. Because what will happen is you will come back yeah. to the clinic the next day and your and your team will get an A, right. you know, and and yeah. you will be able to keep this up for the long term yeah. because you won't be burned out. And then when you're back and you're getting an A, you can look at specifically what made it a B plus instead of an A day. Maybe you can write a, pr- a protocol for that. Maybe we can do some staff training 
to try, you know, for the days that you're not here and we can right. keep hacking away at that so that maybe you get an A plus when you're there and an A when you're not there. Um, you should go home and enjoy your life if that's the case. But too many of us are like, nope, I have to get an A. And that means I have to be 100% tied to my practice 24-7. That's not sustainable in the long term. It's not good for you. I agree. And also it doesn't it doesn't give your other leaders a chance to grow and develop. Yeah. Right. There's no room at the top for them. There's no room for them to shine or to show you that they can also lead because they don't get those opportunities. Heck, yeah. I would much rather cheerlead and bring in, uh, you know, a reward for someone who is like, I I did this. I mean, the best thing for me is when I can come in and be the cheerleader and say, thank you so much for solving this thing. Like, I'm going to I'm going to give you some appreciation and I'm going to hold you up like as leader. That is the best feeling. I would far rather that feeling than feel like I am exhausted and burned out. But hey, I've got a superhero cape like that to me. I don't that's not where I want to live. (laughs) Yeah, you got to reject that feeling. All right, my friend. Well, Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. All right. See you guys. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.